So we're glad that you're here today. My name is Jason. I'm a pastor here um, at Encounter Church, and I'm excited to start off this series, What Happy Couples Know. And I'm, I'm certainly excited because I know it's going to be a lot of fun as we look into it. And I don't know about you, but last week and even the week before, you kind of heard what was coming in um, in the month of February, and you heard a marriage series. Some of you could think, yes. A marriage series. We're finally going to talk about it, right? And the others of you are like, I just might stay home and watch the Super Bowl like commercials and get ready for those Super Bowl commercials, right? So you're either excited about it or like, ah, not so excited about it. But no matter where you are in your relationship, I hope and I trust that this is going to be fruitful. I hope it's going to be effective. I hope that you're going to walk away with things and saying, you know what? Our relationship can be stronger in the future because of you having been here today. So if you're joining us online, we're glad that you are taking the opportunity to, to join us as well. So marriages and relationships are sometimes like cars. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear something wrong in the motor, I just do what? I keep driving, right? My wife says, did you hear that? And what do I say? Nope. <laughs> I didn't hear that. What? What's wrong, right? And, and so in some ways, like I don't want to fix something until it's absolutely broken. Anyone like me? Anyone like me? Others of you may say, you know what, we need to make an appointment for this car. I'm like, I don't want to pay $150 for the mechanic to tell me something that's, that's going to break soon, right? I would rather just wait until it breaks. And so Rachel may say, well, hey, we're going to be broken down on the side of the road. And we don't want that. I'm like, well, we're paying for AAA, right? That's why I pay AAA, whatever, it's an odd, weird number, 41 or $42 a year, just to cover me in case the car does break down, right? Some of us have that, that type of mentality. If it ain't broke, don't, right? But that's dangerous too, isn't it? Because often we do wait way too late to fix something, and it costs way too much. And unfortunately, sometimes it's relationships. And I won't say that they're not repairable, but sometimes it's close, right? I think relationships can always be repaired. Relationships can always be restored. And in a sense, it's never too late. But we do treat them sometimes like cars, don't we? So if you're that person that like, hey, we got a problem, we got to talk about this, well, let's, let's talk about it. If you're that person that says, no, we don't need to talk about it, we talked about it yesterday, we talked about it the day before, we talked about it the day before that, let's not talk about it anymore. There's got to be a way to bring certainly those two parties together, right? And in relationships and in marriage, this is one of those things where we have to deal with it. And so I hope that this, this month is uh, fruitful and effective and that it's encouraging. You walk away saying our relationship can be stronger. So to the married, I hope that you say, you know what? I'm glad I heard this. It's not too late. To those that are single, now you may have listened to this last week, the announcement about this series, and you look forward to it, and you say, well, it's not really for me. Not that you would say, should I even come to church? But I, I hope that you will walk away saying this, I'm glad I heard it now, right? So if that's you, I hope that you walk away saying, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I heard this now because as I prepare. But the other side of it, I want to say this, no matter where you are in life, whether you're in a relationship or you're married or you're single, what we're going to talk about, especially at the end of the message, as we open up the Bible and I read some powerful, powerful verses that we read in the Bible, I know this will apply to you no matter where you are in life, no matter whether you're single, whether you're married um, or whether you're just looking forward to in the future being in that relationship. We all have relationships that we're dealing with right now, and we all want to make those relationships better, don't we? So I hope that you're excited about this series, as I certainly am. I remember in 2004, 
when Rachel and I got married, I remember just being excited and looking forward to it. I was in school in Louisville, Kentucky, where I was uh, in seminary, and so I traveled up to um, ask Rachel to marry me. She, of course, said yes, and we got engaged in August 2004. And I remember this is so, sort of a unique part of our story, that we went through premarital counseling. Who's gone through premarital counseling? Anyone? few of you, yeah, you went through that. Well, here's a unique part of my story that I bet may be a little bit different than you. Guess who did my premarital counseling? Well, none other than my father-in-law. Yeah, that's interesting. That's kind of how I felt at first, right? Now, my father-in-law, is a, he was a godly pastor. He started a church uh, 30-something years ago, and that was the only church he ever led. And so he passed away, um, man, almost six years ago. And so I, I had great respect for him, great love for him. And uh, he, was, of course, was going to marry us. And he said, hey, if you guys don't mind, I'll walk through this book with you. I still use that book to this day. It's an incredible book on preparing for marriage. But I, I really thought it was kind of interesting that I'm talking with my father-in-law just about getting ready for marriage. We had a great time and great conversation. Well, one of the chapters of this book, by, by the way, it's called Preparing for Marriage God's Way by Wayne Mack. And it's not just a book you read with, you know, 200 pages. It's very interactive. You're asking lots of questions. You work on it individually. Then you come together as a couple and talk about it. It's a lot of fun. I've had a lot of fun working with couples. And so it was a very good experience. But I will never forget one of the conversations we had when I came in town during our engagement. Rachel and I sat down with uh, my father-in-law, Joe. And he said, what are your expectations for marriage? What are your expectations you know what was my response? I was thinking about that. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know. What do you mean my expectations? And I ultimately said, I don't, I don't think I have any expectations for marriage, right? And boy, was I wrong, right? And I remember, I'll never forget the smile he had on his face. Because at the time, I thought, you know, Rachel and I have this good marriage. We're optimistic. We all have like our hopes and dreams, and we're looking forward to it. And there's something special about that time. And we watched the video. We saw the the, the husband and the wife looking at each other, the, the eyes of optimism, right? The eyes of joy as you're looking forward to your marriage that's going to start soon. And that was certainly no different than me. But something transitions and changes throughout the years, doesn't it? We all have, and check this out, on, on the, you'll see this on the screen. We all have our hopes and our dreams, right? My hopes and my dreams. So my hopes and my dreams, and, and certainly in 2004, 2005, looking forward to, to being married, looking forward to, to being together, you have this beautiful idea of what your relationship is going to be like, right? Whether it's a, a conversation about where you're going to vacation, or how often you're going to vacation, or what side of the family you're going to see at Christmas, or how long you're going to spend there. Sometimes it's family that's in town, sometimes it's family that's out of town, no matter what, you have these dreams and these expectations. And the ultimate hope is that your dreams and your expectations for what your life is going to be like, what your relationships are going to be like, ultimately becomes what? Our hopes and our dreams. So it's not just my hopes and my dreams. It becomes our hope and it becomes our dream. And so together, and that's why it's a beautiful thing, that the two shall become one. As you'll often hear pastors say, is what described in the Bible, that two lives come together as one in marriage. This is a good thing. And they stand in front of each other, in front of a congregation, and they share their vows. And these dreams become our hopes and our dreams, right? 
And together you get to dream about life. You get to dream about children. You get to dream about your life and your legacy. You get to dream about what you will do together. You get to dream about having time together that's spent like no other, right? Because you are together forever and you're committed, right? You're optimistic. You're looking forward to a great future together. But then what does that often revert to? Because life is challenging and because life has struggled, it often becomes my hopes and my dreams destroyed. And somewhere along the way, sometimes this happens after six months, sometimes after 16 years, we realize that the dreams that we had in our relationships aren't really what it turned out to be. Or you reflect back on that day as I reflect back in 2005, you reflect back on the date that you got married and you think, what happened? When did my hopes and my dreams and our hopes and our dreams all of a sudden become destroyed? When, when this was, wasn't what I signed up for. People often come to a very quick conclusion that, listen, this isn't, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. And even though you struggle and you strive so much to make the relationship right, you just can't ever seem to get on the same page. I've sat with couples over the past uh, many years in relationships as I've connected as a pastor working with people um, that are attending our church and some that don't, that are in great strife and great turmoil. And when they often reflect and they look back, there were days of optimism, there were days of joy. And somehow, most of the time, they're very surprised as to where they find themselves. You look at another couple and you think, man, they look happy. And in your relationship, you can't even decide what's for lunch that day without somehow getting into some argument. And I know we can joke and we can laugh about the relationship sometimes that we're in, but sometimes there's nothing to joke or laugh about. It's a struggle. And it's a struggle for many of you. It's a struggle for some people listening today online or listening to this at a, at a later time that the most, the most important, vital relationship in your life is the one that's most full of turmoil. Why? It's not, just, it's, it's not because you signed up for that. Often it's because you don't know what went wrong and when it went wrong. And so how do we deal with this? So what do happy couples know? Because you look at a happy couple and you say, I want to be there. I want, you may look at someone in your family or some friends of yours and say, man, I wish I, wish I had what they had. And, and ladies, for some of you, when you're sitting around talking with other ladies and they're talking about their families, and I understand why sometimes people just stay quiet. Because you may even say, you know, in a circle of friends, you guys don't understand what I'm going through. And you don't even share because you don't think they'll understand. And guys, if you're talking about what's going on at, at home and you're looking forward to spending time with kids, and I've talked to some men that just say, I, I, know, I'm, I know I'm supposed to go home, but it's the last place I want to go. What a heavy thing to have to deal with. What a heavy thing to have to work through, right? And that's the reality of people in relationships today. And this goes beyond the husband and wife relationship. This goes beyond it, and it goes into every side of the nuclear family. Some of you know you should call your parents more, but you don't want to because you know what the conversation is going to be like. You know what the conversation is going to be like, a reminder of the things that you did not do, a reminder of the things that you did not say, instead of just enjoying one another. Children, our relationship like that sometimes is with our parents, and sometimes just like that with our own kids, that we're reminded daily of how difficult it is to just have joy in a relationship. And so what do happy couples know? 
Happy couples know some things that Jesus talked about. But before we get to that, I want to share a couple other things about expectations. So expectations, looking back to my conversation with my father-in-law, I remember saying, I don't really have that many expectations, right? And now, years later, I get the opportunity to work through with different couples on this, that everyone has expectations, don't they? But there's two different types of expectations that are dealing with in relationships. And this is really a source, not necessarily the primary source, but one of the biggest sources of the problem in relationships today are these expectations. There's two different types of expectations. There are the spoken ones, and there are the unspoken ones. Now, the spoken ones are pretty easy for us to think about, aren't they? They're the ones that you actually do what with? You say them out loud. You know that they're an expectation of yours, and so you speak them out loud. Sometimes that happens proactively. Sometimes it happens reactively. So a proactive expectation is when you come home and things are not done the way that you think they should be done, and you say it. Now, I don't know about you, I've never made that mistake, but I'm just going to give an illustration of something I've heard. You come home and you say, I don't have any clothes to wear, right? And you're like, well, why? I thought you were going to do the clothes today. And then you get the eye with no blinking, right? And that, that eye with no blinking, that eight seconds of, of staring back at you with no blinking, you get the message, right? You do the clothes, right? So sometimes there's spoken expectations. And that's kind of small, but you know, small things turn into big things really fast. And other expectations are the expectations that you live with because of the way that you grew up. You have this idea of what a man should be doing around the house. And your husband doesn't do that. And you're frustrated about it. Or you have these ideas of what a wife should be doing around the house. Or you have these ideas of what a wife should be doing with the kids. But yet you see the expectations collide because the, maybe the wife grew up, you grew up that way with thinking that that's what the husband should do, not what you should do. And so you have this collision of expectations. The spoken ones are super dangerous, right? Because you're just bold enough to say it. The unspoken ones are just as dangerous. The unspoken ones are the ones that sometimes you don't even know are there until you become disappointed. And the moment of disappointment in the relationship, you realize that you're disappointed in something that's not happening, or there's an assumption of the way that the relationship should be. And because it's not that way, frustrations rise. Most of the time, I would say in relationships that are in utter turmoil and that are on the brink of disaster, they are unspoken expectations that are not clarified, and dealt with. Super dangerous and super hurtful, but the reality is all of us have them. We have them in friendships. We have them in, in, in our relationships with our parents. We have them in our relationships with our kids, the spoken and unspoken expectations. If we don't deal with them appropriately, then they can and will absolutely ruin us. Some of you can say, okay, I understand that. I get the tension, right? There's enough tension in the room. We've talked about enough tension. I feel that in my relationship. You feel that in yours. What do we do with this? Some of you can say, I tried to deal with this. I know the expectations and I, I often try to communicate, but no matter how much I communicate with my spouse, we just can't seem to get on the same page. And even when I sometimes defer to their expectations and try to meet it, it's just never enough. So if you can say, I realize his expectations and all I do is try to meet them, but he's never satisfied. And that's so true of us, isn't it, with expectations? Even when we do meet them, it's just not enough sometimes. 
from a young age, I always remember having stuff to do around the house. I mean, there was like no downtime. I felt like, can I just get a vacation for like five minutes here and just do something? My mom always had something for me to do, right? And so teaching me to do chores and teaching me to work hard. And I appreciate that. So guess what I do with my kids? The same thing. Daddy, it's Tuesday. I'm like, we clean on the house on Tuesdays as well. Josiah, go grab the vacuum. Do you ever just give a chore just to give one, even when it doesn't need to be done? Yeah? Some of you are like, yes, I feel righteous justified now, right? Is that okay? I mean, it is to me, right? I'm like, he's having, you know, having fun with your little Nintendo. Oh, yeah, go grab the vacuum just to do it. And I think sometimes I do that because I want, I want my children to work. I want them to, to learn work ethic. And even I told them today, hey, listen, we're going to have some folks come over tonight. we got some stuff to do when we get home, just preparing them for some chores, right? It's not because they're in trouble. It's just because we got to do it. we got to work. Now, what if Josiah came up to me and said, Dad, I just took out the trash and I didn't ask him to. What should I do? Should I compliment him? Should I give him $5? Even though sometimes he asks, Dad, I took it out. Do I get a chore? No, you don't. Why? Because that's an expectation, right? And sometimes when someone meets an expectation, it's a good thing. But the danger in, in expectations that are met is that we fail not to see them sometimes. So even when you have expectations and you meet them in relationships, sometimes it still doesn't go well because you think, well, that's what you should do. Why should I thank you for cooking a meal when we have to eat? I mean, that's a dangerous thing, right? But that's sometimes like the mentality that we have. Like, I don't have to thank you because, well, maybe that's just what you do every day. So even when things are going well, there's roots of bitterness and frustration that can be born in us because we feel like the other person doesn't appreciate us. Now, I, this afternoon, if I say, Levi, go grab the 409 and, and scrub this down or something, you know, am I going to say, thank you, Levi, you did a good job? Yeah, that would be great to say that. But there's a chance that my mind and my eyes, I won't even think to do that because I expect him to do that because that's what I asked him to do. So how do we deal with all of this tension? We have these dreams. We have these hopes of what our relationship will be like. And then it doesn't go that way. And in the midst of the tension, we have all of these expectations. Some of them we say out loud. And by the way, not all expectations are bad. Sometimes we can say, hey, listen, here's an expectation that we have in our relationship and in our marriage. And it, it's not it ended up being a bad thing. It's just, maybe it's a healthy thing. It's a healthy boundary. Not all expectations are bad, but often the expectations that we have, both spoken and unspoken, are so dangerous to our relationships. How do we deal with it? How do we deal with it when we collide? So these, these are four things coming from a message I heard from um, Andy Stanley. These four things are things that we do. Here it is. Number one, we leave. We leave. When we collide, and you do collide, right? You do one of these four things. When expectations collide, remember, you're thinking in your friendships and your relationships with parents, but no different in a relationship between a husband and a wife. What happens when we collide? Number one, we leave. The, the problem comes up, and you say, you know what? I'm not dealing with this again, and so you leave. Now, leaving can simply be just dropping the conversation, or it can be physically leaving the room, or some way, somehow, you saying, I am not going to deal with this. And then the very worst-case scenario, which happens every day in America, in relationships that were once full of joy, they leave the premise. They leave. They go find a different apartment. They separate. They eventually find their way to divorce. This is the most, the easiest thing to do is to just not deal with the problem. 
And sometimes not dealing with the problem is sort of a good thing, right? There's a proverb even in the Bible that says, it is to a man's benefit to overlook an offense. I hear this in the education world with, teach, with teachers a lot, right? Pick your what? What would you say? Pick your own, pick your battles. Don't deal with everything. Now that's good. That's a good wisdom in a relationship. Don't deal with every little thing because it's going to wear you and everyone out, right? But sometimes we take that to the other extreme and we just don't deal with it. And so we leave. We don't want to deal with it. And so we leave. The second thing we do is we win. Anybody like this? Everyone likes to win, right? And, and you think in your mind, listen, I'm going to win this battle. I even, this is so terrible. I'm sorry. I just got to confess. Even in a conversation with Josiah yesterday, I said, listen, buddy, because he likes to do what I did to my parents. And every time Josiah argues with me, I feel like calling my mom and saying, I'm so sorry. It's <laughs> what I did to you. She used to call me the lawyer. And that used to make me so mad, but she was so right. Mom, you're probably listening online. I'm sorry. Yeah, she is. She, she's, and she, she's probably smiling, and she's going to call Josiah and just give him some encouragement today. But I even, I even verbalized this to Josiah yesterday. I said, listen, Josiah, I win this. You're going to lose this conversation. I verbalized it yesterday. It's not always how I do that. It's not good parenting to say, I win, you lose. But I'm trying to communicate, I'm going to win this. So you can argue all you want. I win. Even when I'm wrong, I win. But I mean, I joke about that. And he got so frustrated. I'm so sorry. I did apologize to him for saying that. But listen, this is what we do in relationships. We say, no, no, no. I am going to fight until I win. There's a lot of different people that have said this a lot of different ways in relationships. This is known as fight or flight, right? And these are these first two. We either fight through it or we leave it. Both can be very, very, very bad. Both can be very, very, very good. I think, what's the tension here? There's a time when you drop a matter and you say, I'm not going to worry about that. I'm going to focus more on tomorrow than I'm going to worry about yesterday. Good for you for being able to do that and to say that. And there's a time to say, you know what? We can't let this go, hon. We got to talk about it. We can talk about it when you're ready. We don't talk about it right now, but we got to deal with this, right? And so we, this, these are the things that we do. But in winning, sometimes we win and we cause everyone else to lose in the process. We fight so hard to make sure we are right. Sometimes it's that parent pride that I have that I just described. Sometimes it's the parent pride that says, listen, I'm the parent, you're the child. And there's a place for that to remind them that I'm responsible. I'm the authority. So even when the authority is wrong, you have to do what I say. But such a dangerous mentality to carry over into every relationship. So just say, I'm going to do what I have to do and say what I have to say to make sure that I come out on top. Most of us would never verbalize that, but that's what we do. Number three is we do this. We conform. We conform. Now this one sounds good, doesn't it? We just say, you know what? We're going we're gonna to adjust our own desires, right? We're going to, we're going to set aside ourselves. But this isn't the type of healthy conform. This is the type of conform where, where you feel like you have to change in an unhealthy way and play the game just to make everyone else happy. This is when the husband just says, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to fake it until I make it, so to speak, right? This is when we just become what someone else wants us to become. And you know, no one has to describe how miserable that is. Or you don't have to imagine very long how miserable it is just to play the game. 
to make someone happy happens most often in children with an overbearing parent. The children with an overbearing parent, when they decide not to fight, they do what? They conform. They conform to what the parent wants. And sometimes it's only while the parent's watching. But parents, are, are, kids are, are really good at this. And us adults are no different. In a troubled relationship, and a troubled marriage, we play the game and we act like things are fine and we just conform to their desires just to keep peace. Some people don't like fighting. I don't know about you. Some people like a good fight. I like a good fight. I do. I'm not talking about with Rachel or anything, but I mean, I just like a good fight. Only, not because I want to win. I mean, sometimes, yes, that's my mentality because that's what I'm showing, but like, I want to resolve. Any resolvers in the room? I don't like, I don't like to, to leave. I don't, I don't like to just let this thing go. I remember when we first you know, got married, Rachel would say, can we talk about it tomorrow? I'm like, those are like words from another world to me. I'm like, no, we can't talk about this tomorrow. She says, I'm tired. I'm like, we'll grab a cup of coffee. I don't like coffee. We'll just try it. Red Bull, something. We can't let the sun go down. We got to talk about this. I remember waking up um, early on in our marriage, looking at, looking at Rachel. I thought, what's wrong with her? Is she not like me? Is she, not, is she disappointed? This is like week number one. And finally, she's like, Jason, I don't like to talk in the morning. I'm like, you don't? What's wrong? I was just learning to get to know our differences. I want to work this out. I want to make sure we resolve this. And we're going to get to a place of peace and we're going to be happy. And she's like, I'm fine. I'm like, but I'm not. Let's talk about it, right? Some people just want to conform because they say, you know what? Whatever you need, I'm going to do it. And this is a miserable existence because it takes away your own identity. And when the other person, either a parent, right? A family member or the husband or the wife is so domineering, it causes the second, the opposite person to conform in a, in, in a very unhealthy way. The fourth thing that we do is we compromise. We compromise. Ultimately, this is happening. The compromise happens when the relationship is so worn down that one or both parties get to a point to where they just settle. They just decide this is the way that it's going to be. And so you compromise your desires. You compromise what you know the relationship could be, and you just settle. This is when a husband and a wife decide you know what? We're just going to live together. We're not going to fight. We're not going to flight. I'm just going to be myself. He or she is going to be themselves, and we're just going to let it be. One of the highest rates of divorce from a study that I saw last week is there's a small 18-month window when kids leave the home. When kids leave the home, um, the divorce rate in some areas um, has actually gone down in the last five years. But the study that I saw last week, there's an 18-month window that's rapidly increasing with the divorce rate in America, and that's empty nesters. It's interesting because of one of two things. Some couples verbalize that they stay together for their kids, right? And while some couples verbalize that, other couples don't realize how bad the relationship is until kids are gone. And then they realize that they've, they've compromised the relationship. They've just lived together. They've just been, they've just been who they've been and, and not really had a good relationship. And when kids leave the home, it's what was already exposed is just exposed even further. How do we deal with this tension? We go back to our early marriage years and, and we dream about what a relationship could be and should be. We have our dreams. We have our desires. We have our hopes. We look at our relationship and we see that sometimes there's spoken, unspoken expectations. 
And when, we, when, when those collide, we, we either leave, we win, we compromise, or we conform. How do we deal with this? Jesus had some things to say about this. And because of the way that he lived, the Apostle Paul captured it very powerfully. Philippians chapter 2, I want to read a few verses to you. In Philippians uh, chapter 2, the Apostle Paul writes this, and he writes this um, about Jesus and the way that he lived. I'm going to set this context and set this tone that Jesus Christ had already lived his life, and he had died. And according to what we read in Scripture, he rose again from the dead, claiming to be the Messiah, claiming to be God. He had lived his life. He had given the calling to early Christians and early believers. And that calling was that they would go out and proclaim to the world that there was a God who loved them. And this is in the middle of the, the early days of Christianity that men and women are spending their lives telling other people how much Jesus loved them. And Christianity was blowing up, was growing incredibly, incredibly fast in the city of Philippi. And Paul writes a letter to them reminding them about how to live. And he writes this, and he, and he writes this because this is how Jesus lived. And he says these words, Philippians chapter 2, in verses 3 and 4, this, I'll read this to you. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. Now, I, I read that and I go, wow, that sounds really good, but it's so hard to do, right? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Now, the next verse, which I'll just reference, it will not be on the screen, but the next verse says your attitude should be like Jesus. Why? Because this is how he lived. Do nothing out of selfishness or vain conceit. Now, just for a moment, imagine the next 24 hours if you did absolutely nothing for yourself first. But all you did was look around and find the needs of other people around you. You're constantly on the lookout for what does he need? What does she need? Now, this is what a host would do. Who's hosting a Super Bowl party tonight? Anybody? Yeah? Are you guys celebrating the Super Bowl? Okay, this is interactive. Who's hosting? Somebody's coming over to your house, all right? Or, okay, most of you are going to someone else's house, right? Now, a host or a hostess would naturally go, what do they need, Right? That's what you're looking for. Like, you're like, what, do you need this? You need, let me take your coat. They say, no, I'm cold. All right, well, just keep your coat on. You okay? Sit right here. Like, do you want something to drink? What you want? Do you want a refill? All right, let me take that trash for you, right? You're constantly looking for the needs of other people. Imagine if we lived our lives like that in our marriage. You're constantly looking for, what does, what does my wife need? What does my husband need? What do my kids need? Some of you are like, oh, I live there already, all right? No check there. I'm constantly looking out for their needs. Even though they don't know it, I'm constantly doing that. Imagine that. Paul says this, this was the life of Jesus. This is what Jesus did. When Jesus came to the earth, he was not looking out for himself only. He was looking out for us. And this is why Jesus died on the cross to offer forgiveness to offer the forgiveness of sins to people is because he wanted a relationship with you. And Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again from the dead and proclaimed that anyone who would confess that they're a sinner and have faith in Jesus Christ could be saved from their sin. Jesus did this because he loves you. 
And Jesus, the, the, the two verses before, a reminder of what Jesus did on the cross, he says this, you should be like that. Imagine if we modeled our lives after this Jesus who gave himself for us. Imagine if all you did the next 24 hours, you just say, I am going to meet the needs of my spouse. That's all I'm going to do. And then all of a sudden the fighting or the winning or the compromising or the flight that we like to do, we just leave. It looks a little bit different, doesn't it? Because what happens in relationships, when we set, our, set aside our own desires and we focus on the desires of the other person, is that walls begin to fall. Struggles begin to diminish. Why? Because love is being communicated. While it's so easy to say and so hard to do, we have to find ourselves setting aside our own needs for the desires of somebody else. This is a daily practice. This isn't something that we have to think about whenever life sort of goes up into flames or whenever a relationship struggle seems to go into flames. We have to think about it right now. Had an opportunity to practice this yesterday. We have a one-year-old golden retriever. I love little Lily. Um, Lily is a delight to our home. But because Jason had a desire, I was like, you know what? I just want to spread the love. Maybe one day we would breed Lily, right? And so I've been saying this. I'm like, you know, I just want to spread the puppy love. Like, I would love to, to do this. I remember as a kid, we, um, we had a dog that uh, bred a couple of times, and I remember it being so much fun. I remember taking care of those dogs. I remember trying to find homes for the dogs. It was just fun. So I've said from the beginning of getting Lily that we would breed her, and Rachel has said the very opposite right? She has said, I do not want to breed this dog. I'm like, well, just give it some time. Not right now. I'm just going to give it some time, right? We're just going to sit on it, right? So when I bring it up, Rachel's like, no. I bring it up again. Rachel's like, let me find another word to say it. <laughs> no. Well, this, this week, Rachel's sort of, sort of been in a, um, in a, a holy fit type of, type of rage because Lily's one year old, right? And what happens a little past one year old? They go into heat, and let me just say, to, to say the least, Rachel has not liked what happens to the dog whenever the dog goes in heat. And so I had a chance yesterday. I said, you know what? I can, I can push my case or I can just say, you know what? I defer. And shame on me. It took me a year of conversation, a year of politely kind of pushing it. Come on, let's do it. Come on, let's do it. She finally looked at me in a very holy rage type of way. Is Rachel in here? Can she defend herself? Okay, good. I, it just helps me to know that, right? Not that I would change anything I'm going to say, right? <laughs> and so, so Rachel, in a, in a very, very nice way, uh, she just looked at me and she said, how many times have I told you? No. And so I said, you know what? You're right. You're right. I said, I'm taking, I'm taking her to the vet next week. We will take care of this problem. Conversation ended. Now, so for those of you that wanted to spread the puppy love, you'll just have to go somewhere else, Right? Because we will, we will not breed Lily. And I looked at this list and I thought, shame on me. I, I should have done that months ago, right? I should have just you know, deferred and said, you know what? You're right. We have opportunities every single day. Now, this is kind of a small, funny one, at least for the most part it was. These are not small, funny matters. When we push our own agendas, right? When we want, when we want what we want and we're going to find out a way to do it. It causes so much struggle and so much strife. While fighting can be a good thing when you fight to do what's right and you fight to get on the same page, it can also turn into turmoil. 
And sometimes the, the, the leaving the situation can be a good thing. Sometimes it's turned into years of no communication, which will destroy. And sometimes we can form. That's a good thing, right? You say, you know what? I'm going to set my desires aside. That's fine. You know, Lily and I had our, our time last night where we grieved together. Um, she, I told Rachel, I'm going to go downstairs and grieve with Lily. She was like, she doesn't know the difference. I'm like, I know. Just give me some time with her. Just give me some time with little Lily. You know, she'll be okay. No more, no more, no puppies. I'm sorry. Like sometimes we conform, but sometimes it's not a good thing. Sometimes it's a healthy thing. And sometimes it becomes to where we, you feel like you're in a cage. You can't be yourself. And other times that we compromise. We just live with it. Even though we don't like the way that it is, we just compromise because we accept it that it's going to be that way. I hope that the next few weeks as we dive into some of the practical things that we can do uh, of what happy couples know, I hope that you'll take these and you'll say, you know what, my life can be different. And I'm going to tell you today as we wrap up today's message, your life can be different if you take a cue from what Jesus said through the Apostle Paul when he said, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Check this out on the screen. You'll see this. Happy couples know that if they expect nothing, they will be grateful for everything. But if they expect everything, they will be grateful for nothing. I'll read that again. Happy couples know that if they expect nothing, they will be grateful for everything. But if they expect everything, they will be grateful for nothing. You want something you can do in your relationship today, no matter who that relationship is with, that will make it better? Take away those expectations that you have. And the moment you take away those expectations, you're going to find yourself grateful. One of the things I joked about a meal recently, um, I, don't, I do have expectations. Some of those are spoken and unspoken. I'd, I'd be lying if I said I didn't. But one of the things that I just have not really cared about is coming home and always having this hot meal ready, right? I just I didn't grow up that way. I don't have that expectation. But sometimes I feel myself frustrated in random times when I come home and I'm like, hey, we're going to eat tonight? I'm no, I don't say that at all because <laughs> I get the peanut butter and jelly look, right? But, but what if, listen, but what if you live that way? What if you live that way and you, you, never, you never expected a hot meal? And when one comes, what do, you, what do you do? You show gratefulness. If somehow you can say, today, I am going to lower my expectations today. I'm going to ask God for his help because God knows you need it. God knows I need it to help take away some of those expectations so you'll be grateful. And then, you know, when, when you expect everything, when you expect everything, you'll be grateful for nothing. Somehow lower those expectations. Ask God to help you take those away so that you can begin to show gratitude. And Jesus said this, and I'll leave you with this. Happy couples follow Jesus' teaching when he said this, as I have loved you, so you're to love one another. As I have loved you, you are to love one another. What if we took the cue from Jesus in a relationship with our spouse and said, Jesus, you gave your life for me, and I'm going to give my life to my spouse. Jesus, you sacrifice yourself for me, and I'm going to sacrifice myself for my children. Let's pray.